Welcome to a new episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Selma Slumden and I am a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. With me today is Dr. B. Yun, who is an associate professor at the Department of Political Science, as well as assistant professor at the Graduate School of East Asian Studies at Zungkyung Kwan University in Seoul, South Korea. Bi-Yun works in the field of history of political thought and contemporary political theory, as well as comparative political theory. His research interests are quite broad, spanning from ancient political theory over medieval and Renaissance political theory and literature to the political and religious iconology of the pre and early modern ages of the West. In this episode, we will be talking about Bi-Yun's research on Machiavelli and the later Middle Ages, and also how it has shaped his view on the nature of research in the field of history of political thought. Welcome, B, and thank you for joining me today. Um, in 2021, you published a book entitled Ways to Machiavelli, the Return of the Political in the Later Middle Ages. Could you just give us a brief outline of what the book is about? Thank you very much, Selma. Um, just a brief correction, I am just promoted to the full professor as uh, days ago. Congratulations. Am, thank you very much. Um, first of all, I'm very pleased to be able to talk about my book that appeared um, the last year. And I'm still waiting for the resonances from the field. Um, and it's great, great pleasure for me to talk about my book today here. I, my book pursues the roots of Machiavelli's political ideas and that separate the politically expedient from the morally right and just and justify that separation as natural and necessary. I call this separation political pragmatism. I will come to this topic later. Nowadays, this pragmatic separation sounds like common sense. Um, if you believe that the best politician is the best teacher of morality, However, such a radical separation appeared in the political literature of the West relatively recently, recently. A prominent figure in the history of the tradition defending the separation is, needless to say, Niccolo Machiavelli, a Florentine active in the early 16th century. For a long time, Machiavelli's bold separation of the politically expedient from the morally right and just has attracted discussions by scholars. For the reasons I will explain later, scholars have stressed that Machiavelli's separation was his genuine and genial discovery and was barely indebted to the earlier tradition except for some ancient authors. I protested against this common sense in my book. I pursued how that way of conceptualizing and representing politics developed historically in the later Middle Ages. By doing so, I hope to illuminate Machiavelli's political thought from a different angle, placing him in a discursive tradition from the later Middle Ages. Of course, I also attempted to answer individual questions in the course of the discussion. First of all, I intensively discussed the, the age-old riddle regarding Machiavelli's political commitment. Was he a Republican thinker or a supporter monarchy? How did he come to write the Prince and the Discourses on Libby almost simultaneously? Or maybe our chronology of the creation of the two works must be revised? The Prince first, the Discourses later, or vice versa? Do the different tones of the two works reflect the change of his political vision or did he remain faithful to the Republican conviction? Was the prince only work, of, work for earning the favor by the Medici? I hope I have come up with a new and hopefully decisive solution to the question in my book. You will also find discussions on similar questions regarding other later medieval Renaissance thinkers that have occupied the intellectual historians for long. Was Ptolemy of Luca a Republican or a support of monarchical rule? How severe was Colucio Salutati and Leonardo Bruni, the famous civic humanists 
with their high appraisal for the Republican rule and so on. And that is summary of my book. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for this outline. Um, before we dive into uh, more of the content of, of your argu arguments, um, your book contains extensive discussions of European political thought from the 12th to the 16th century, so quite a broad span. Could you set the scene for us? What is the historical and philosophical context that your research is set in? Um, thank you for this question. Um, my primary interest in studying Machiavelli was tracing the origin of European modernity. Machiavelli has long been regarded as the first modern thinker in the history of Western political thought. He has earned numerous reputations, such as the first discoverer of politics as it is, the first empirical thinker, the first rationalist, rationalist thinker, and the first political scientist, etc. He has been regarded simply as representing and incorporating the Renaissance spirit, mercilessly rational and thoroughly scientific. As such, Machiavelli's political ideas were viewed as an antithesis to what we call the medieval tradition of political thought. There is a historiographical cliche working here. The Renaissance has usually been understood as a negation of the Middle Ages. The Renaissance culture is a negation of the medieval culture. The Renaissance tradition of political thought is a negation of the medieval tradition of political thought. So goes the story since Jacob Burkhardt and many others. In my book, I put this familiar historiographical scheme to question. I stress that the medieval tradition of political thought was much more diverse and richer than usually imagined than that we need to take a dramatically differentiated approach to understand what happened to the way of viewing and conceptualizing politics in the period from the 14th century to the early 16th century. Medieval culture was far from being exclusively dominated by religious moral views, and far from merely being hostile to all sorts of pragmatic thinking. I showed the pragmatic separation characterizing Machiavelli's reasoning of politics was already circulating in the political discourse around the turn to the 14th century on several occasions in my book. I put Machiavelli at the end of this development. Machiavelli is the one who gave these pragmatic ideas the most explicit, most explicit expression. His ideas made a pragmatic approach to an issue of the political discussion of the later ages in the West, while being read, criticized, rejected, condemned, welcomed, cited, and so forth. In this sense, Machiavelli was also the beginning of a modern tradition of political pragmatism. Machiavelli was a watershed in the development of political pragmatism from the later Middle Ages to the modern period. The author of the 14th and 15th century, who are at the center of my discussion, when I trace the development of political pragmatism in the later Middle Ages are John of Paris, Ptolemy of Lucca, Marsilius of Padua, William Ockham, Bartolus of Sassoferrato, Dante Alighieri, Colucio Salutati, Leonardo Bruni. I also want you to reconstruct a specific context in which Machiavelli and his contemporary Florentine thinkers developed their political ideas. Machiavelli attempted to address specific problems and questions of his age and society with his works. And without understanding what the problems and questions were and what message he wanted to deliver, it is impossible to chart the evolution of the programmatic discourse in the Middle Ages and Renaissance by way of Machiavelli. Therefore, it was inevitable for me to devote a substantial part of discussion to the development of political discourse in Florence since the 15th century. I engaged myself with the authors belonging to the so-called civic humanism, like Leonardo Bruni, Boccio Bracciolini, Bartolomeo Sacchi, Matteo Palmieri, Leonardo, um, sorry, um, Leonardo Bruni, uh, I have already mentioned Leonardo Bruni. Girolamo Savonarola was also instrumental in understanding the political discourse and its transformation in Machiavelli's time. Thank you. 
Okay, so thank you for this overview. I mean, you touched upon uh, the research questions that you formulated to approach Machiavelli, um, how you approached them and which sources you utilized. That's quite fascinating. Um, I want to go a little bit more about into the content of the book and uh, wanted to ask you, how do you define the political in your book? Thank you very much. Um, Politics has always been there and will be there insofar as humans build a society needed to regulate their relationships. Wherever you might go and what, at whatever you age you might live, you find the government or government-like organizations and related actions. However, the ways to conceptualize politics differ from age to age, from culture to culture, and from class to class. In the pre-modern Western political thought, politics was understood and represented predominantly as an extension of morality. For instance, Thomas Aquinas believed a ruler could effectively govern his country by following the natural laws, a part of which is compactly summarized in the Ten Commandments. Discussing the best form of government, he argued that a ruler only has to observe God's creation and realize its principles on earth. The universe is governed by one God, the beasts are ruled by one queen, then a human society by one ruler, king or queen. There was almost no idea that politics is a sphere of human action that requires different standards, principles of thinking. Of course, Aquinas and others, Aquinas and others admitted that there are moments when people have to deviate from the ordinary course of course to serve a problem, but they believe that such moments are truly exceptional or to speak in the language of social sciences, they are outliers that could not affect our reasoning and the understanding of an object. From the, late, uh, from the late 13th century, different ideas emerged. More and more authors, as I have already mentioned, I mentioned some of them in my book, more and more authors began to recognize that the questions and the problems in politics are quite unique and complicated that they cannot be answered and solved merely by referring to the ethical and religious principles. In the consciousness of the Europeans, politics began to emerge as an autonomous sphere of action and thought distinct from morality. My discussion focused on the development on the consciousness and its discursive formation from the 14th century onward, as I said. This transformation was reflected in their writings. Machiavelli lived in an age when this discursive transformation was going on. With the term political, the political, I just wanted to designate this consciousness and its linguistic elaboration I, uh, that um, the politics, politics in a separate and autonomous sphere of action and the thinking. And they, um, there may be an answer to your question. It is. And um, you started this explanation talking about um, Thomas Aquinas um, and the, the Middle Ages. But your book title talks about the return of the political in the late medieval age. So I was wondering, where do you locate the origin of the political and where had it gone before the late medieval age? Yes, um, actually, I, when I began uh, my work on this book, I did not anticipate going so deep into antiquity. <laughs> but um, later I recognized actually uh, the idea that politics and morality do not harmonize well with each other has a much older origin. origin. Mm -hmm. That is, the idea itself uh, was overall and also is overall in every age, in every society, in the West and in the East. Um, in all places you will meet uh, such, an, such an idea. And however, there are moments when the distinction between the political expedient morally right becomes especially crucial and receives intensive theoretical elaborations. It was in the fifth and fourth century BC that the distinction received an explicit expression in the West. 
The distinction was one of the central topics of philosophical literature in Athens, especially important are the contributions made by Plato and Aristotle. Although Plato is known to be a defender of morality against the nihilism of his time, he was aware that an effective rulership raised questions too complicated to be served by referring to morality and attempted to answer the question, what is the state measure in this context? His question flowed into his pupil, Aristotle, resulting in his famous discussion on the relation between politics and philosophy. The discussion made an almost nihilistic turn in the sophistics. In Plato's Gorgias dialogue, a famous dialogue, which I especially love, we find Callicles, a sophist, coldly remarked that philosophical wisdom does not help at all in politics. By pursuing political wisdom, Callicles argues, one makes oneself inappropriate for politics. What determines who will be a winner and who will be a loser in politics is the possession of power, not philosophical wisdom, which implies that one needs to deliberate on politics in terms of how to increase one's power, not in terms of how to realize the philosophical wisdom. So I believe that is the moment when the political clearly appeared in the consciousness of the Western people mm -hmm. and also uh, took its root in the Western traditional political discourse. Mm -hmm. This nihilistic tone continued into late antiquity. This is visible in the works by Augustine and Boethius. Both authors advocated keeping to the lessons of the Christian religion in every step of life. At the same time, in their thought, the cyclone, the human world, appears as anti antithetical to every sort of a sound order and ridiculing every moral and religious thinking. Boethius complains that human world is subject to the caprice and malice of Fortuna, an ancient goddess of luck and chance. This idea is known to all Machiavelli readers and the similarity is very apparent. Sure, the point of arguments by Augustine and Boethius lay elsewhere than understanding the rules promising success to a politician. They defended the right of morality and religion. They preached tolerating all the absurdities of the human world as a Christian. But the basic picture of politics is surprisingly similar, similar to what we find in Machiavelli. It is not distant from this picture of politics to an argument that a successful politician should be ready to depart from the teachings of morality and religion if, if necessary. The idea that politics and morality do not harmonize well with each other was also present throughout the Middle Ages, only they are not very visible. Therefore, we are misled to believe that during the Middle Ages, Religious ideas and moral lessons dominate the political imagination completely and exclusively. Therefore, the popular misunderstanding that the study of medieval political thought would be monotonous and dull, filled with repetition of the same preachers that people hear in the church. Um, here is a question raised, however. If the idea of distinction between politics and morality was always there, why is it invisible? My answer is very simple. The majority of document texts currently read and given attention in academia represent hegemonic discourses. That is, they were regarded during their time as being decent and legitimate and thus appropriate for public presentation. Such texts were produced by a relatively small number of educated people in the Middle Ages. They shared the ideal of a cultured way of discourse on politics. They were also subject to censorship, partly by the government and religious authorities, partly by various intellectual traditions, conventions, and norms. What appeared in such sources may provide only a partial or even distorted picture 
of medieval culture and ideas. Specific ideas and arguments then may sound disturbing and scandalous according to the moral religious standard of time were either censored or had to be toned down and framed in language that conform to the conventions of the period. These restrictive discursive practices explain the scarcity of pragmatic expressions in the source of the previous contemporary ages, also for an extended period afterward. However, it may be highly problematic and even misleading to make any conclusion about the absence of political pragmatism because of the scarcity of such presentations, such representations. Therefore, I had to make several adventures into terrain scarcely visited by historians of political ideas. I had to examine proverbs, romances, and episodes recorded in various chronica and different visual images. From the engagement with the text and materials, as well as with the more conventional works like the Mirrors of Princess literature, treatises, and the polemical works, emerged slowly the path along which the pragmatic political discourse evolved during the Middle Ages. I have already said that there are moments in history when the distinction between politics and morality becomes especially important. The 14th century and 15th century were such moments. As I said already, Machiavelli's pragmatic political thoughts are part of the, the popularizing process of political, political pragmatism. I hope I explained why I employed the metaphor of return, therefore, because the metaphor, uh, the, 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 the political itself emerged in the later in, in antiquity, around the fifth or fourth century in Athens, but I do not exclude actually the idea circulating much earlier because we have a very limited access to what people really said at the time. We can infer only from the, uh, the, the very small number of books uh, and records usually left by um, some philosopher who did not love those pragmatic ideas anyway. And then the ideas dormant, at least it did not surface. But uh, from the 14th century on, the ideas, uh, the consciousness appeared again and mm -hmm. recorded the received linguistic elaboration. That is mm -hmm. about what I want to say here. Thank you. Could you illuminate what you think um, caused this resurfacing of the political in the late medieval um, ages? Yes, thank you. Um, the question concerns what caused and prompted the transformation political discourse in the late Middle Ages. And there are several explanations already there outside. outside. And those explanations have been elaborated, promoted by generation of scholars. Um, philosophers tended to stress the contribution of new philosophical movements like uh, nominalism. And uh, so some would love to highlight the development of capitalism and commerce and the consequent transformation of mentality, especially in Italy. All explanations have their own merits, but I'd like to stress the power struggle among different entities like the cities, the kingdoms, the Holy Roman Empire, and the Roman Church and others. From the 14th century onward, those political entities fought severe ideological struggles against each other to defend their autonomy and rights. They frequently referred to the right of exception. When the Italian city-states had to justify their factual autonomy, despite their legal status as a part of the Holy Roman Empire, they raised the claim that the legally right may not apply in politics. When the French monarch had to defend the sovereignty of its king toward the emperor and the pope, it also argued the similar way. The most striking example would be Ptolemy of Luca. He argued that the human kingdom represents an inferior order to the church. With this argument, he intended to explain why the secular monarchy should obey the church, the superior order. Ptolemy admitted then that what is valid in the superior order might not apply to the inferior order, thus claiming to distinguish the political order 
from the rest of the universe, which is subject to eternal and unchanging rules by God. On the basis of my observation, I conclude that the power struggle among different entities contributed hugely to the transformation of political discourses. The transformation was not confined to a specific location, say Italy, specific classes, say bourgeoisie, and specific philosophical schools, say nominalism. This is one of my findings. I also conclude that even the church contributed to this transformation process political discourse. This may be surprising because it is usually believed that the church represented, represented a conservative force in the Middle Ages and that it was against the influence of the church that the pragmatization of political discourse progressed. However, as Ptolemy's case shows, this is obviously not true. An evolution and transformation of political discourse is much more complicated, complicated and filled with much more contradictions and surprises than we usually imagine. That is one of my findings. Thank you. Thank you. Um... I, I want to go a bit more into detail about um, your arguments about Machiavelli. So um, you argue that the political thought of Machiavelli and particularly his political pragmatism goes back to um, this concept of the political which originated in the antiquity and then um, kind of fell victim to the hegemonic discourses during the Middle Ages, but resurfaced in a transformation of political discourses during the late Middle Ages. This is quite a big uh, argument. So I would like to start at, from the beginning um, and ask you, what is political pragmatism? And where do other researchers um, typically locate its origin? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, yes, I know it is a big um, argument and so I, I'm wondering, therefore, if my big argument uh, may be received by researchers in this field. And um, I was just happy that I could publish some of my findings in separate uh, articles in English, anyway. Um, but uh, your question, what is political pragmatism? Actually, I was quite hesitating um, about this. Um, terminology, because I know, see, philosophers probably, uh, especially they would be quite doubtful about my use of the term, because pragmatism is a highly developed system of thought on the nature of ethics and human behavior. And um, I know, and but I must say, I did not use the term in that philosophical sense, rather, I followed an established convention in the German tradition of Machiavelli research and in German political pragmatism. And the um, political pragmatism, it has also different uh, names uh, for its political realism, theory of power politics, or recently uh, realpolitik. Um, the term was uh, invented around the mid 19th century by a German uh, intellectual, uh, Rokau. And they, uh, so I must uh, admit there is no consensus among the scholars how to term that radical separation of the political expedient and the morally just and right. But anyway, I used uh, the term pragmatism and uh, because one uh, meaning of pragmatism is anyway, um, the view that uh, a validity morality uh, depends on uh, its effect. That is whether a, 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 the rules and orders of morality is valid must be judged by the standard of its utility. So in that sense, sometimes people call the same ideas, the same tradition of ideas, also utilitarianism, utilitarianism. But I must accept, admit anyway, there is no consensus. Also, when uh, a philosopher appears and then raises objection uh, against me, I'm ready to accept, okay. But I am not arguing uh, in a strict terms, philosophical term here. 
Mm -hmm. And um, how would you say does the argument that you put forth in your book and your opinion about Machiavelli's origin differ from that of other researchers? I believe I have already mentioned the topic, but I will repeat some basic points. Um, usually Machiavelli was a rupture and a uh, fresh departure. A, Machiavelli's first uh, modern thinker and his idea is not inducted to anything from the previous, uh, uh, from the, uh, ideological traditions of previous ages. Um, and the, in these terms, Machiavelli's um, careers have worked for long, especially in Germany. But also, therefore, they uh, wanted to find where the origin of Machiavelli's thought lies. Uh, usually, um, they wanted to find the uh, origin of Machiavelli's political uh, pragmatism. Uh, in the socio-economical uh, context, not ideological context, because Machiavelli could not have any uh, pre precedent in history, especially in the middle, in, in medieval tradition. Uh, but I doubt it. Um, and uh, as I uh, explained uh, in the previous part of this interview, I tried to show a, there is no fresh beginning in the history of political ideas. And the Machiavelli may be a fresh and a new original, but Machiavelli could build his ideas partly referring to the political ideas uh, discourse of, con uh, of contemporaries. And the contemporary political ideas uh, the political ideas of Machiavelli time uh, could not be completely new. Uh, it formed historically. And I just wanted to show its historical roots. And also Machiavelli is quite um, familiar with some literature and it is absurd in my eyes to exclude Machiavelli, Machiavelli a read medieval a authorities only with doubt and suspicion. And so, um, and this is just, this represents that only a part of my uh, questions when I set out to work on the continuity of pragmatism from the later Middle Ages to the Renaissance, the early modern ages. Is it enough as my answer, sufficient? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, thank you for that. You highlighted again, um, that Machiavelli's thought, according to your research, developed out of um, concepts of the political that formed historically. Um, and I just wanted to wrap up this part of the interview by asking you if you could summarize how the late medieval pragmatism or the political differed from that uh, that originated in antiquity and how Machiavelli then further developed it, if that's possible. Oh, yes, yes. Um, the summary is a good word because uh, it will become a long story for our time to compare the pragmatic schools in antiquity and in the later Middle Ages. And um, in that case, I have to summarize the, the half of my uh, book again. Mm -hmm. um, Therefore, I'd like to confine myself to a question. Um, what is Machiavelli's contribution? Uh, and with this, uh, I may illuminate how uh, uh, the, uh, the pragmatist discourse in, in later Middle Age and the Renaissance differ from the pragmatic discourse in discourses in antiquity. In antiquity. Um, Machiavelli was not as original as is usually believed uh, with his picture of politics. Uh, even if still many people are wondering about Machiavelli's genius and he could create everything from nothing um, in German from uh, a, 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 in Germany on the elsewhere. There are numerous Machiavelli wanderers and uh, Machiavelli worshippers. But uh, actually I disagree. But one thing is clear, 
No one has gone so far as to attempt to elaborate on the rules promising success in a political enterprise. Certainly, it sounds like an oxymoron that Machiavelli viewed politics as interested completely to the rule of fortune, the goddess of chance and luck, and attempted to find the rules for mastering her, goddess. I'm arguing quite metaphorically at this moment. A world dominated by chance would lack any regularity. And without regularity, there can be no universal rules promising success. Machiavelli himself confessed his embarrassment in the 25th chapter of The Prince when he says that the success of a political, the success of a politician, sorry, the success of politician depends on the time and place. That is, uh, he admitted that there can be no rules universally valid for politicians. Um, I do not know uh, a, how to evaluate Machiavelli's um, Sisyphean um, attempt to derive a general, a set of general rules promising success from this chaos as he represents the political world. But one thing is clear, with uh, his attempt, he, um, he um, motivated uh, many thinkers of later ages uh, to be interested uh, also a, um, uh, sorry, this part uh, is quite difficult for me to formulate as you mm -hmm. may slash this part. Yeah. Um, yes, okay, so far, okay. Yeah, no, I think that, that was uh, great. And um, I think we can just continue. So uh, thank you for taking us into this deep dive into your book, uh, Ways to Machiavelli. Um, if that is okay, I would like to end the interview by asking you a bit more generally about your career. So prior to your post at Sung Kyung Kwan University in South Korea, you researched and taught in Germany for quite a long time. And that made me curious, what motivated you as a Korean researcher to research an Italian thinker in Germany? Where does your interest in European political thought come from? Um, actually, it's a, it may be interesting. When I first went to Germany, I met many people, but they did not know where Korea was located at that time. As there is an episode, a Korean student went to, to his uh, supervisor in Germany, Dr. Vater, and he wanted to write about Max Weber, but uh, his supervisor uh, proposed, uh, how about working on a topic in your country? Maybe uh, there would be important thinkers in, uh, in this, uh, Southeast Asia. And, but uh, if you look at the map, world map, you'll find Korea is located not in Southeast Asia, but uh, Northeast Asia. Uh, so usually uh, people are asking uh, why an Asian is, um, engaged with a Western traditional political ideas. The idea is very simple. A 100 years ago, almost over, over 100 years ago, the West came to us. And uh, in our uh, troubles, may, we may say the West wind conquered the East wind. That is many Eastern countries were completely Westernized and Korea is one of them. And so for us, it's almost um, self-evident that uh, we have to learn the, about the classics of uh, uh, Western traditional political thought because our institution, our social uh, system, everything was, uh, everything was from the West. So that may be a part of my answer, but uh, there is another answer. I entered the university in the mid eighties of the last century in uh, South Korea. At the time, the Korean civil society revolted against the brutal uh, military dictatorship. And my generation was exposed to all types of radical social and political theories. After the collapse of international socialist bloc, 
And uh, with the onset of a democratization process in Korea in the 90s, I was in search of a new talus that would lead my society country to a wonderful world with prosperity and democracy. And then I encountered Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and many other French thinkers. Um, while following Foucault's criticism on modernity and following his reconstruction of the European tradition of social political ideas, however, I came to ask if European modernity really began as Foucault describes. I desired to see the origin of European modernity with my own eyes. Thus, my research on Machiavelli began. That is, actually, uh, I am not a scholar. I am not a student of classical political ideas, but I was much more interested in uh, modern political uh, thinkers. Then um, I came to uh, Germany, and um, my choice for Germany was because um, I wanted to have chance to exchange my ideas extensively with the scholars from various fields. And also, I hated statistics, but if I went to, a, uh, if I had gone to the US, for instance, as a political scientist, then I must have uh, worked quite a lot on statistics, mathematics. So uh, I love the philosophy and history, everything uh, related to humanities. And as you know, the German universities developed a prominent tradition where scholars of social sciences, scholars of humanities work together and change on the on daily basis, very lively. So uh, my experiences in Germany is quite impressive and I was very happy. Uh, I could teach also in the department of history, uh, also in the department of politics. And then finally I finished this book. And so I, when I look back uh, on my experience in Germany, I'm very happy actually. I'm filled with a feeling of happiness and um, yes, that explains why I um, came to study uh, Machiavelli so intensively. Thank you for sharing so openly about your personal account. Um, that's very impressive. And you just touched upon why you went to Germany and also how your experience was uh, in the university and how they were working. I would like to... Um, ask about that a little more and, and ask, what is your experience with the nature of research in the field of his, history of political thought? Are there differences between researching at a German university then and researching at a South Korean university now? Oh, I have to talk about this topic uh, for an hour. And, <laughs> um, as I just said, um, the merits of a German university is uh, clear uh, interdisciplinarity. And uh, I bless nowhere could I exchange so library with uh, so many uh, scholars from so different fields. And so I could enrich my ideas or so I could enrich my experiences. Sure, there is darker size in Germany and German universities, uh, first of all, the foreigners have a less, uh, very, uh, a very, um, at, at least at the beginning, the foreign uh, students have problems uh, because language is very difficult, but also the culture of German universities, as you know, is so uh, especially um, there are, at least as I began to study in Germany, uh, conduct, began to conduct my research in Germany, there were few foreign scholars uh, in the, the, at the university, among the teachers, I mean. Um, and also uh, my languages, for instance, um, and because I worked with my with, with the historian in Germany, and my, my second advisor is a historian uh, in the field of uh, Renaissance uh, history. 
and uh, also I was uh, I had to I was simply uh, asked to learn uh, many languages at the time. So Latin is uh, also part of Italian and other languages. And I believe therefore, uh, but uh, anyways, I, I was very happy with all those requirements. And um, as I said, um, the Korean universities have been, have been developing rapidly and also internationalizing its network, but uh, their networks, but um, uh, when it comes to the question of interdisciplinarity and also chances of exchanging ideas uh, beyond the boundary of a narrow discipline, is Korean university has a much longer way to go, much more way to go. And they, uh, that is um, a distinctive merit of a German university that uh, one can have a you have a very many chances to talk about different topics and also without barrier because uh, I did not have a coursework there in, in Germany. And so I was simply free to go wherever I want and go whatever colloquiums I wanted to visit. And uh, even in Korea, uh, I miss uh, the moments and there's so many uh, conversation where I could exchange with some prominent people. Mm. They are now my close friends and colleagues. But I, um, um, yes, um, that is uh, my experience. That summarizes uh, my experience and also uh, shows uh, my ideas about the difference between uh, the, maybe the, uh, the big difference between uh, Korean universities and German universities. Mm. Thank you. Um, I think we're slowly running out of time, but um, I wanted to ask one last question. You just talked a lot about interdisciplinarity and the value of it. <clears throat> I just wanted to ask, has your career path also helped you to develop a more comparative perspective on political theory? And if it has, what is your opinion on comparative political theory as an emerging field of research? Um, sure, my existence uh, itself was comparative because um, as an Asian, um, I could not but look at everything from Asian perspective and maybe from Korean perspective because there is, I'm still doubting whether there is universe, there is something universally Asian anyway. So, um, so whether a um, conscious was aware or not, I was looking at everything from a Korean perspective. And is this um, automatically comparative? And if I could have formulated some ideas or questions that have been rarely raised by European thinkers, maybe my Korean identity contributed to this. For instance, the idea that uh, the pragmatic discourse developed only in the later Middle Ages, in the, in the modern ages, in Renaissance, before this time, people were thinking completely in terms of religion and morality. I, I looked at this idea with uh, curiosity and suspicion because, for instance, Korea lived a, Korea did not know the modern European modernity, but such um, nihilistic ideas overall in Korean societies, I doubted whether a society could survive only by following the religious, moral, religious rules and morality. And so maybe my Korean identity also helped me uh, articulate my questions. And the, um, well, I believe actually a compar comparison is a good way to understand something. Actually, I am um, also a, uh, from my experiences, I believe, um, yes, comparative political theory is a very important uh, research field. Only uh, I, I just wanted to warn that uh, some people are developing a, um, an expectation, unrealistic expectation that, for instance, comparative political theory guarantees a, um, 
uh, a um, equal comparison of two different traditions. But comparison always is, uh, presupposes as a certain point of reference. And uh, as a, you must stand somewhere. You cannot place yourself in the middle completely. A, uh, you must stand somewhere and then look at uh, the other. And this is the nature of comparison. And uh, um, so there is, therefore, as I believe, what is the nature of a comparative political theory? So we needed to discuss uh, further and more intensively. And uh, the very problematic, the, the very idea itself that is, um, yeah, maybe a comparative political theory will give a chance to, a chance for a conversation and through conversation, we can find, uh, we can arrive at consensus. But this expectation itself is the expectation that was formed uh, through uh, the modern liberalism that um, stressed the uh, conversation as an important moment of society building. But in different cultures, I'm doubting people would agree on this, I'm doubting. Mm -hmm. So a, um, uh, I warn against a naive, um, uh, naive enthusiasm for comparative political theory, but I am sure comparative political theory has much, many things to contribute to developing our political ideas for future. Thank you for that. Um, and we are at the end of the interview. So B, thank you for sharing with us your view on the origin of Machiavelli's political pragmatism but also on your personal account about your career that has been extremely insightful. I thank you for being so open. It's been fantastic to have your perspective on the podcast and I wish you all the best. Until next time.